You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi again, and welcome back to our podcast for this special bonus episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, a senior multimedia specialist here at NCQA. In this bonus episode, we present the full interview featured in episode 89, a fascinating look at one state's efforts to develop changes that will indelibly improve health equity for their citizens. In this interview, Christine Toppy, Assistant Vice President for State Affairs at NCQA, moderates a discussion with state Medicaid quality leaders from Louisiana. They discuss a new report funded by the California Healthcare Foundation. The paper follows an earlier one, as Christine will explain, with both reports geared to provide new tools for states in improving health equity. Specifically, the discussion here focuses on improving Medicaid-based managed care. I'll include a link to the updated paper in our episode description. Feel free to peruse the paper while you listen to this in-depth interview. Hello and welcome to NCQA's podcast series, Inside Healthcare. I'm Christine Toppy, Assistant Vice President for State Affairs at NCQA. Today, I'm hosting state Medicaid quality leaders from Louisiana to discuss an exciting new report intended to provide tools for states in improving health equity. Our topic is about a new approach to integrating health equity and quality measurement expectations for Medicaid managed care organizations with a particular focus on Medicaid managed care. We're going to dig into what the report outlines as a framework and how it might be put into practice with our guests. But before we get started, I wanted to share a little bit about the report. Over the last year, NCQA, in partnership with the California Healthcare Foundation, has been leading a program to advance equity-focused quality measurement in Medicaid. In December of 2021, we released a white paper evaluating Medicaid's use of quality measurement to achieve equity goals, which is available on NCQA's website. The first report really focused on the current state of measurement. In this month's report, we release our proposal for the future state, an equity-focused measurement framework for accountability in Medicaid. The framework is intended to facilitate accountability and contracting for managed care organizations, putting equity at the forefront of what we expect in terms of quality and outcomes. The framework is structured in six domains or conceptual areas, each with a set of two to five quality measures for a total of 21 measures. The six domains are equity-focused and represent Social interventions, which include measures of unmet social need and the interventions and services designed to address them. Access to care, including access to high value healthcare services, as well as timeliness and convenience of care. High quality clinical care, which includes measures of clinical care process and outcomes, including prevention and management of chronic disease. Experiences of care, covering member reported measures of healthcare experience. Structures of care, which focus on assessing an organization's culture and uh, system of care for meeting the needs of individuals from diverse backgrounds and lived experiences. And lastly, but not least, overall well-being, which represents self-reported survey metrics of physical and mental health and overall well-being. The framework was developed through a review of evidence, literature, policy, and best practices, but also in collaboration uh, with a wide range of stakeholders, including state Medicaid uh, agencies, health plans, clinicians, researchers, community-based organizations, as well as patients. 
So today, we're fortunate to talk with two of our state stakeholders whose uh, perspective and insight help shape this work. I'm joined today by leaders from the Louisiana Department of Health, Chief Medical Officer Amanda Dumas, and Medicaid Deputy Director Kalinda Parker. Today, we'll discuss quality measurement, equity, and how a new framework for centering equity in Medicaid quality measurement can support states in ensuring the best health care and and health for their Medicaid members. Welcome, Amanda and Kalinda. As we begin, I think our listeners would love to hear uh, your perspectives on what addressing health equity means to you and to the state's Medicaid program. So kind of a, a, pre, a precursor to kind of reactions to the report, like where are you starting now in this journey? We have a, a strong focus on health equity in at the Louisiana Department of Health and more specifically, Medicaid. We have been working on initiatives and strategies um, around this area for several years. We have multiple strategies that we have employed to address health equity. And um, one of the things or several of the strategies I will be discussing with you all today includes the uh, 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 leveraging our managed care organization contracts, as well as collection uh, of data and reporting. Um, and additional strategies that we can uh, dive di uh, deeper into uh, once we get further in the uh, podcast. Great. Thank you, Polinda. Amanda, did you have anything you'd like to add? Just off the bat, I can only say I appreciate the work here and that equity is, of course, at the foundation of what drives us at Medicaid. I think most of the people who come into this role uh, or come into these roles, especially around leadership, definitely value this and understand this is at really the heart of the disparities that we we see every day. And so I appreciate a real direct look at how we can affect them. Great. Thank you both. Well, let's go ahead and, and dive right in. Um, so as you know, the report really builds off the original review of kind of what measures and, and tools were in the space of health equity uh, for the purposes of evaluation and, and lots of other kind of use cases, if you will. So in reviewing the measure framework, for which is built for Medicaid, but I think the vision is that it would be used uh, and applied, uh, evolved to apply beyond Medicaid. Um, how did the six domains um, and the measures that were selected, how did those resonate uh, with you in, in, in the context of kind of your experience in Louisiana, you know, where you know the, the challenges are with your populations, kind of uh, how did those six areas resonate with you? And then if you wanted to dive into any of the specific measures that were of interest, that's, that would be great too. Definitely. So the six domains resonated very well and are actually familiar to me. Um, social interventions, access to high quality clinical care, experience of care, structures of care, and the overall well-being are areas in which Louisiana Medicaid has incorporated into its quality program. And these domains and measures do align with the Louisiana Department of Health straight state priorities. So the Louisiana Medicaid quality strategy does identify strategies to address health equity, evaluate health disparities. I'm really pleased to say that Louisiana Medicaid is currently reporting on all measures in the access to care, high quality clinical care domains, and also two measures in the experience of care domain. 
The overall well-being domain includes measures that the Louisiana Medicaid may have access to. Uh, the LDH Office of Public Health does administer and reports on the Briffis data. Um, again, this is data that we may be able to collaborate with our Office of Public Health partners to access. And although we have identified challenges with collecting race ethnicity data in Medicaid, the two measures in the structures of, of care domain are definitely important and measures that we are interested in implementing. Um, again, furthermore, the Louisiana Medicaid 3.0 MCO contracts will require that all plans use a standardized health needs assessment tool, which will capture additional demographic data. My own perspective is probably a bit of a higher view um, in that, you know, when I was thinking of this, I was really impressed to see the equitable structure of care. And I know we might dive into that a little deeper later. But as Glenda was saying, I think a lot of this was very familiar and maybe it had been restructured or reframed in a way to create this overall well-being model, um, especially around access and high quality care. Um, getting into the weeds of social interventions and structures of care and experiences of care, I think is going to be really, I think it's going to be really important to see how this evolves because when you think about so many of the measures occurring at the the point of care, whether it's with a physician or some other healthcare delivery person um, or a community-based organization or, or something there, that personal level, but we're measuring it from such a high view. I, I wonder sometime if we're really hitting what we need to in terms of all those steps along the way. And that's where I think the structure of care is going to be really important to acknowledge here as um, as bold and perhaps new, but still young. I think it's going to evolve over time to be maybe more informative than it's currently structured. Um, as well as experiences of care, I think that this is especially important to have the voices of the patients in here. And I really appreciate that because I think it's been harder to capture and certainly something that is often um, discounted by clinicians or other people in healthcare uh, um, infrastructure. So I'm really excited to see that. Um, and again, as we dive deeper, you know, we can get into the nitty gritty there, but overall, I think it's a, it's a nice framework. I think it does lend itself to capturing more and more over the years as we find better ways of capturing these domains. That's great. And, and it sounds like, um, based on what Kalinda you described in terms of existing, um, expectations that, that it really does, um, uh, reinforce and align with your existing priorities, which is, um, I think, uh, important for states to hear in terms of the lift, right? What does it mean for organizations to, um, to report measures, uh, and kind of, if they don't already have certain facets of what's required to, to implement stratified measures, you know, what, you know, that it's, they're part of the way they're potentially, you know, if they're already reporting, um, some of these, which are heatest measures, not all of them are obviously heatest measures. Um, were there anything, were, were there any parts of the domains or the measures that were, um, surprise, surprises to you? I would say I wasn't surprised per se, but I appreciated the concept of all of the all of the domains overlapping um, for the overall well-being of the enrollee. 
as well as ensuring like success across all of the domains. And this is illustrated throughout and outlined in the framework. So again, I wasn't surprised, but I appreciated that overlap in, in, in demonstrating how all of the different domains can work together for the overall well-being of the enrollee. Yeah, I would agree that I think the domains themselves are really good. And I think they cover every everything we're interested in. Um, I do think that the fact that equitable social interventions at that domain relies solely on clinical or EHR data is going to be an issue because that's something that not all states have access to. Mm-hmm. And even if you do have access to it, it can be um, pretty unreliable. It, it's very difficult measure to get at. And I, I speak to this not only as someone who's been interested in quality measures, but someone who works with patients and understands that so many of the interventions that are done are impossible to track um, or very difficult to track, especially if you're relying on charts and, and what people are able to put in the EHR. Um, you know, was there follow up on a referral to an organization that supports housing or food insecurity? How do you actually find that? How do you see? You might be able to code that there was a positive screen, but if you're not being reimbursed for that screening, is there necessarily that reliability of that claim? Um, That's just one example. Even if you do the chart review and you find that the screening was done and it was positive, how can you guarantee that the referral was done? Maybe a, a sheet was handed to the family or maybe a phone call was made. Maybe some places, some some um, patients rely on another organization already. And so the physician or the clinician doesn't have to make that step. They're just verifying that that connection is already there. So again, I think that there's so much nuance in addressing these social determinants and just the factors around poverty itself. It's so incredibly nuanced and difficult that that's always going to be a challenge. And I, I think that in this case, I do wonder, I'm sure this conversation has been had, but do we have to lean on the clinician's, notes or can we lean on the MCOs to do more in guaranteeing that those screenings have happened? Because again, many clinics that are actually doing a lot of this hard work and doing the screening don't have a social worker that they're employed or they don't have a full-time social worker. They don't have a way to have any support during that 15 minute visit to address the needs that they've screened positive for. However, if the MCO is able to do some of the screening and referral from their end, can they, or has that been done? Or can we confirm that that connection has been made rather than taking up that clinical time where the parent really wants to talk about failure to thrive or the formula or the spitting up or the rash? Um, Knowing that all these things are so incredibly interrelated, do we have to rely on that clinician all the time? Or can we start to look at other measures that should be happening at the MCO level? Yeah, that's a fast, that's a great point. Really relevant. Um, Certainly a theme that has been happening in all the conversations NCQA has been having with stakeholders about health equity and about, about kind of when those um, opportunities arise, who has kind of ownership of the, of the person and uh, for, uh, you know, at, the, at any given point in time for whether it's the referral or the execution of the referral and the relationship between managed care organizations, community-based organizations, uh, health information exchanges, all these, all these parts of the, the the health delivery system, if you will, not just healthcare. Um, you know, where where are those data sitting? Where might they sit? Uh, and what opportunity do we have to um, increase the connectivity between the players so that the so that there can be that 
strong accountability and um, and frankly, you know, a real understanding of did the person get the thing that they needed to be to that, you know, that was intended. And the financing piece is obviously a really big part of that as well. Um, so really excellent point. Um, and I think uh, one that will resonate with our listeners um, for sure, for sure. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so if we, uh, if we might pivot then to that equitable structure of care point that, that you mentioned, Amanda. Um, so that domain includes measures that assess an organization's culture and system of care for meeting the needs of individuals from diverse backgrounds and lived experiences. Um, we limited the number of measures in this domain at this time um, and see this as an area for future development. So um, as you're thinking about the role of managed care organizations um, now and in the future, how do you think uh, organizational structures such as plan capacity and systems and processes, like how do you think about those and uh, what influence might they have on care and, and care quality and how might we kind of help to evolve that? Plan capacity systems and processes have great influence on the care and care quality of the enrollee and specifically in Medicaid. One of the key strategies, as I stated before, in which Louisiana has implemented or is implemented is the new MCO 3.0 contract. So by leveraging these contracts uh, to include uh, language to address uh, and prioritize health equity was really, really key. So not only did we include language to address health equity, but health disparities and social determinants of health, as well as require the MCOs to, de to demonstrate more meaningful commitments to health equity. So that again, that was one key lever that we use. For example, um, in the MCO contract, this is our new contracts uh, that we recently uh, signed off on, um, defines health equity. It also requires the MCOs to employ a health equity administrator at, at a very high executive level. It incorporates you know, health equity into population health strategies. Um, and also we created a separate health equity section that has clear provisions outlined to ensure that there is an effort to achieve health equity. So again, furthermore, the Louisiana Medicaid quality strategy, as I mentioned before, has identified initiatives uh, for data collection processes, methods and strategies to identify barriers to health and address social determinants of health. So again, um, so organizational structures as plan capacity systems and processes have great influence on quality of care for the Medicaid enrollee. Um, what Clinda's saying, I would just maybe emphasize I, our new contracts have really taken a lot of this into account. And I think that there were a lot of lessons learned from previous years in what we might see in MCO's potential and what they will uh, say are their strengths, and yet the accountability for us to actually see it in practice, especially around these types of measures. So a lot of that was taken into the new contracts and really thought about carefully in terms of, well, how do we need to really lay this out to make sure our values and priorities are going to be reflected and that the NCOs will be held accountable? Because again, there's really varying degrees of how this actually plays out. And so hopefully going forward, we'll have better measures to actually keep track of that. Yeah, my my um, my question, which I think is is uh, is something that a lot of states are kind of grappling with, is you know 
what is the kind of realistic place where these healthcare organizations are now and kind of how, how far are they on the journey for, to where you would like them to be? Um, and obviously this um, framework provides you, um, I think, a, a narrative to help explain the accountability that you might apply and I think are applying to your plans. Um, you know, what do you have a sense of, based on what you've described as kind of what they've been able to do to date and where you'd like them to be about kind of what that journey looks like for, for the state and for the plans? Well, I can say starting with measurement 2021, that was our first year that we're requiring our MCOs to stratify measures. Okay. So we have identified several measures, again, that are, are in the the six domains that NCQA has outlined in the framework, not only are they required to report, but they're also required to stratify. Furthermore, to hold or to have more accountability or to hold the MCOs more accountable, we do tie a withhold, not only to ours, to some of our quality measures, we have 11 incentivized measures, but also to health equity, starting with this new contract. So, Again, we wanted to ensure that there were uh, meaningful commitments by the MCOs to address health equity. And what better way to do it is through quality measurement, reporting, transparency, having that information, that data publicized on our quality dashboard for the state of of Louisiana, as well as tying quality withholds to not only the, the quality measures, but health equity as well. So that's one of the new strategies, again, that we have outlined in our MCO contracts that had not been there before. Not only do we want to see your health equity action plan, how you intend on um, meeting successful or being successful in health equity or achieving health equity, but but we're also um, holding them accountable by placing that withhold on health equity as well as quality metrics and reporting. And um, can you speak a little bit more about what how that, that withhold works? Yes, yeah, so we have a 2% withhold that we are incorporating. Prior in our prior contracts, there were 1% withhold that were applied to quality measurement and 1% that was tied to our value-based payment program. What we've, what we've done in these new contracts, we have 1% quality withhold that's tied to performance measurement. And we took the other 1% and we have 0.5% that will be, still be tied to our value-based payment program. And we took one, uh, 0.5% that will now be tied to health equity as well. So we still have a total of a 2% withhold it's, we just broke that up a little bit differently. For quality, um, there are currently 11 incentivized measures in which the MCOs must uh, meet our, uh, our target or improve by two points. If they do that, they will well, uh, we will refund their withhold or their earn back their withhold. Paying for value-based payment, we have specific targets outlined in our contract. If they meet those targets, they can earn back their withhold. And now with the implementation of our health equity contract provision, the same would apply. Those uh, uh, targets, those provisions that we have outlined in the MCO contract, if they meet those deliverables, they have an opportunity to earn back their health equity withhold as well. That's super helpful. I'm sure our listeners will be very interested to uh, to um, to hear that, and and you may have some folks giving you guys a ring. Uh, we know lots of states are grappling with um, how best to approach 
um, all of this work uh, and states are in a, you know, an array of uh, places in terms of that journey. So um, the details I think are really important. And that's one of the things we, we like to be able to share with our listeners is, is how states that are, you know, uh, moving down the path are, are doing it and, and the lessons they've learned along the way. So appreciate that detail. Um, Amanda, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Sure. I think in terms of talking about structures of care, when I was mentioning before that I'd like to see how this evolves, I'm wondering if in future we'll be able to find a way to look at how the systems that, that put like that, um, I guess, organize and facilitate care, those big healthcare organizations that employ so many physicians and other clinicians are really able to uh, profit off the work of these clinicians and these quality measures. Whereas the incentive, the incentive, um, sorry, they're not really trickling down to those providers and how that tends to affect that structure of care. Um, because you do see that's really the model that a lot of healthcare has gone towards. Now you have a lot of private practices still maybe doing primary care and yet primary care is not always valued highly in the larger healthcare systems mm -hmm. that then will, you know, engage with MCOs in different sort of uh, contracts to get money back um, by meeting certain measures. And yet they ask the physicians to then click boxes in Epic or whatever their EHR is that they've done certain things, but that doesn't always then reward those clinicians for doing the work. And again, is that healthcare system then going back and taking that money to hire a social worker or a care coordinator or working with the MCOs around all these social drivers of health, the social determinants of health that are leading to poor outcomes amongst people living in poverty to begin with? Because again, I think we see this, um, this sort of necessary but frustrating pattern where we capture patients coming from very difficult circumstances when they come to care. And so we want to use that opportunity to identify their needs. And then we either punish or reward those clinicians for meeting the needs based on some of these measures. And I just feel like the, the system has really never evolved. Medicaid included has never evolved to really fight poverty. We're here to respond. You know, it was built as a claim system to pay back services that were delivered. So we're using a bit of a clunky structure to try to really address systemic and societal issues of racism and poverty and um, structural racism that have been here, especially in Louisiana, since the beginning of this state. And so I think this, that's why I think the structures piece is so incredibly important because the structures is where these issues came from. And as much as we need to look at the outcomes today for people who have suffered from this and have diabetes today, have high blood pressure today, and what can we do better about their care today, this structures piece is where really we can maybe have some upstream difference. And so that's where when I talk, I don't have the answers myself, but I do, you know, I have been immersed in the system itself and seeing how frustrating it can be when you're not supported by those contracts happening at a higher level between healthcare organizations and MCOs and the state. When you're the one you know, at the bedside or you're the one in that clinic visit with a family and you have no support. So we can keep looking at those EHR records. We can you know, keep mining the charts of the physicians and nurse practitioners and nurses doing all that hard work, but we've got to support it at a higher level. And so there again, I think that equitable structures of care is gonna be incredibly important as this evolves. 
And the other thing, other point I'd just like to make along those lines is that all this really um, depends on context as well. And I, I appreciate the report and in referencing this several times. Right now we're talking about measures to look at Medicaid programs, mm -hmm. how Louisiana can look at itself over time, how we can compare ourselves to other states. But really if we're comparing Medicaid to Medicaid, hopefully we're raising the bar, but are we ever comparing Medicaid to private or Medicaid to Medicare? And are we, and Medicaid to, to TRICARE, VA? Like we're we really looking at we're having equitable systems, um, you know, no matter where you're born or your age, you know, your, your life stage, are we really doing a good job there? So I think that, that being able to extend this to see, are we being equitable in our system? Are we being equitable across our state for all citizens? Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point. And, and I think, you know, what you've described in terms of the, um, the investment in the, um, primary care is certainly an area where we've seen, you know, states prioritize investment in primary uh, in primary care. And it's almost, if I, if I'm um, hearing your points, it's really um, even a potential area for kind of evolution in terms of what, what might other, you know, um, I don't know if it would be a domain or if it'd be an enhancement of the existing domain to say like, how is power organizations translating that um, if it does become savings, how are they channeling that in to provide that support back to the frontline um, providers, whether it's nurses or physicians or whomever through to really um, to kind of uh, give them that, that um, missing piece that they're not having now. Um, so that kind of accountability all the way down to the frontline um, is definitely something, you know, I think we've heard in, in a lot of different conversations, um, you know, even getting back to um, the referral process and what does it mean to kind of receive for a community-based organization to receive a, a referral without kind of the resources that, that frankly, you know, they may need to deliver on that, um, given how their financing is currently structured. So I think it has lots of places um, to um, to be inserted that additional support. Um, I do want to um, like yeah. chime in with, with with Amanda. I definitely agree with Amanda on everything that she says. One of the um, areas that I noted that was missing from the structures of care, urban and rural status. Here in, in Louisiana, that is we've we've identified a disparity there and a need for equity, health equity, between urban rural status. And I, I know there's a focus on RELD data and information, and that's outlined here in the two measures that have been identified to be included in the domain. But yeah. I do um, agree with Amanda, this, this, the structures of care, this is an area in, in which we may need to expand or you can expand upon um, by incorporating maybe additional measures because if the data source is really member reported data or enrollment data or data that we can pull from other data sources, then I'm, I don't see why there, there are not additional measures that capture the realm of those uh, structural um, barriers. I'm gonna call it structural barriers to care, right? So. Right. Again, in the state of Louisiana, I mean, er, uh, that that's when I first read that that stood out to me. I'm like, OK, we're going to assess on race, ethnicity 
even though, you know, most states we are having issues with collection of that data and we're still working to collect uh, to to collect that clean data. We're also, you know, I have a measure around uh, the language aspect of, of the, our, our diversity in language. But we missed out on that urban rule. Um, disparity or the measure to assess that as well. So I think in the structures of care, agreeing with Amanda, I think we still have some work to do there and some improvements to make in this domain. Um, we need to go beyond just language and race ethnicity to ensure to surely ensure health equity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for raising that, Kalinda. I think the um, that um, has also been a big theme um, in states that are really trying to evaluate, you know, um, who who needs services and and access to care and everything that goes with being rural um, is um, a huge factor uh, for for any of the states that have you know uh, wide swaths of of rural population. And I think that that's a lot of states. <laughs> Um, uh, certainly from, from all of the um, feedback that we hear about the, the challenges of um, prioritizing resources and how you support people when, um, uh, in the delivery of care. So um, I think, you know, our, our intent with this was, was to familiarize our listeners with the, with the framework, uh, to hear your perspectives. Uh, I would love to get your um, kind of two cents on what a call to action would be for other states. Um, I don't know if you've been talking with other states um, about this, uh, you know, but I would love to hear your thoughts about how to how what what you would tell your state partners about this. So what I would tell my state partners about the NCQA Advancing Health Equity Framework is first, I would tell them, please read the document because I think it's very informative and, and does lay out guiding principles for starting your health equity program. It does lay, it does lay out a framework that consists of those six domains in which we could pull. I will also tell other states that you're probably already reporting many of the measures that are included in those domains to go back and review and research and, and, and just make sure that, you know, if you're not, you, if you're not reporting, um, maybe you should consider reporting a lot of those measures that's, that's incorporated because I think really many states are, um, Again, I have a program or a strategy set up to identify dis disparities. So if you're not stratifying your data, you should start stratifying your data by some method. Um, again, the state of Louisiana, we're currently stratifying by race, ethnicity, and urban rural status. And then that will lead to clear interventions and strategies to address those disparities or to advance health equity. I would say to just collaborate with your internal and external um, entities, like uh, your partners, to remove those barriers of care. I mentioned uh, to you early on in the podcast that we collaborate often with our uh, with office with, with the Louisiana Department of Health Office of Public Health. We collaborate th with them on numerous initiatives and identifying strategies on how we can remove those barriers. Also, I think this framework, I would tell them, um, would support 
the need to address those health related social needs. Right. Um, that framework could help them come up with strategies or uh, help support some of the, some of the initiatives they have around health related social needs. Um, I also think the framework for for me would help me or help other states to engage their executive leadership teams. Um, if you already do not have a health equity strategy or initiatives around health equity, this framework will help you engage your executive leadership to assist you with implementing uh, strategies that, that are needed to address health equity. It does promote accountability and transparency. Um, again, I we spoke to that, you know, um, around our quality program here in Louisiana. Medicaid, how we utilize um, our withholds to uh, ensure accountability, our transparency. I, men I mentioned to you about our quality dashboard and where, and where we uh, report out our measures for all MCOs compared across MCOs and compared to NCQA benchmarks. Um, um, also, it will, um, you know, and assist you in one of the areas that we would need to improve on as the state of Louisiana to engage in rollings, right, in other stakeholders such as community-based organizations. You know, we, we do a very, very good job of engaging MCOs, sister agencies, but I think we have areas to improve and engage in our enrollees um, on their quality of care as well as community-based organizations and other stakeholders external to LDH. That's how I would use the framework, and that's what I would tell other states. Thank you, Kalinda. Um, you know, Amanda, I, I want to give you the closing remark, but I want to touch on something that you mentioned before and that Kalinda reinforced, and I want to make sure our listeners hear, which is I think that there's a, a significant opportunity for states as a whole to be looking at equity. And we know that there's interest and activity in at the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, individual insurance or uh, managed care regulators that are outside of just Medicaid are looking at ways to prioritize health equity. And so I think, Amanda, you raised that point about this needs to go beyond Medicaid. Um, and I think the example that Kalinda highlighted with collaboration with public health, definitely. Um, but I think it's a, it's states really have an opportunity to um, engage those that are both the kind of all of the purchasers for the state and the regulators to kind of come together on a vision for what equity means for their state. And I think that, you know, that's certainly something we believe um, states should do. Um, and they're, everyone's in a different place at this point, but you have to start somewhere. And so I just wanted to recognize your vision for that, Amanda, your support for that, Kalinda, and then I'll give Amanda an uh, opportunity for closing remarks. Thank you. I can't improve upon what Kalinda said at all, but I, I can maybe just uh, highlight a couple of her talking points. I think, you know, we want to make sure we take to heart. I think what Kalinda, you said about bringing this framework to your executive leadership is huge. Those folks are busy. They are busy. They're getting it from every direction. I mean, we're all very busy, but really being able to hand somebody 
this framework just really condenses a, com a very complex issue in a way that they can easily digest and communicate it when they go to the governor or they go to the legislator and, uh, and, and continue to spread this, um, this message. I think the other thing that, that Clinda was getting to, but what I might condense a little bit more is to say to put your values in your contracts so that whether it's with your MCOs or, um, or other organizations, like bring that piece there, have it all over the place. Um, it's the more you incorporate equity language, the more you incorporate health equity goals and, um, and stratified data, et cetera, the more you're going to make that expected and, and normalized and uh, everyone's going to be on board. And then the last piece that Clinda had brought up was just collaboration. Collaboration is key. None of us have all the answers or know or have all the information. And so keeping those open dialogues with your other agencies and you know, Office of Public Health is huge. The community-based organizations, like Clinda was saying, your MCOs, of course, we talk about monitoring and holding them accountable. Mm -hmm. That's our role, of course, but they're also collaborators with us. And so working with our MCOs around some of these ideas is also very important. So I'd like to follow up on that point Amanda made around supporting providers and like what what is uh, Louisiana uh, doing that that provides that kind of support and reinforces the priorities around health equity? Kalinda? So I would say our value based payment program, what we noticed from um Last year, we've actually amended our contract to ensure that the providers are whole. Two provisions that we included is that the MCO cannot hold a provider to a higher standard than what the state hold the MCO to. Meaning, if we're requiring them to meet the NCQA 50th percentile, they can't make the providers meet a 75th percentile or higher. And then in addition to that, we also stated we put a tiered system into our value-based payment program that you must incorporate at least two incentivized measures into your value-based payment arrangements with providers, and you must incentivize them at this level, right? So we have specific language in our value-based payment arrangements. So therefore, because what we saw prior in our value-based payment arrangements is that they reported, the MCOs reported these huge value-based payment arrangements and how much they were investing. But when we saw the provider incentives, it was minimal. Some mm -hmm. of them were less than 1%. So therefore we were like, no, if you're reporting these huge amounts of, of, of value-based payments, then you must incentivize providers as well. And so we put those provisions into our value-based payment contracts, uh, the performance metrics that they must report on, requiring them to tie their value-based payment arrangements to quality. They must provide uh, 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 link them to quality of care, but also uh, providing those, uh, those incentives to providers and requiring them to increase incentives to providers for participating in value-based payment programs. This has been wonderful. Um, thanks to both of you for your time today, for your contributions uh, as part of this journey that NCQA has been on to really bring something meaningful to our, to our state partners and public sector stakeholders. Um, and just you know your valuable perspectives on, specifically on this report for in today's podcast. Christine Toppy, Assistant Vice President for State Affairs at NCQA, leading an insightful discussion with both Kalinda Parker, Medicaid Deputy Director for Louisiana Department of Health, and Amanda Dumas, 
Chief Medicaid Officer for the Louisiana Department of Health. For more information, check the links provided in this bonus episode's description. Then check out earlier episodes of the podcast. And while you're at it, go to ncqasummit.com. Find out more about our upcoming first annual in-person, live, four-day DC-based event, which we call the Health Innovation Summit. So thanks again for joining us here for this special episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm senior multimedia specialist and producer Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>